What I want to talk about this morning, I've kind of, if you're a note taker in here or you like taking notes or jotting things down, I've kind of titled this message, 23,703. 23,703. I posted it on Facebook, uh, I think a few days ago. Does anybody know what this number means? Because it's very significant. And I want you, before you leave here today, if there is something that sticks in your head, I want to burn this number in your brain. 23,703. 23,703 brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, co-workers. That is the number of people in Acadia Parish alone that profess no faith. No faith. So 23,703 people, according to the census, actually say, I could care less about God. Could care less about faith. They're not Catholic. They're not Protestant. They're not Baptist. They're not Methodist. They're not charismatic. They're, They're nothing. They could care less about Jesus. So when the census went around and they offered, hey, what do you believe in? 23,703 people say, I don't believe in God. So when I look at that number and I look at our church, it tells me we've got a lot of work to do, right? Because here's the truth, 23,703 people, most, some of those people are your brothers, Some of those people are your sisters. Some of those people are the people that you run into at Walmart. Some of those are the people that, you know, you drive past and you give them the friendly Louisiana wave. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? 23,703 people that do not know Jesus. These are people that are lost. These are people that have no hope. These are people, unless we act within the circle that God has placed us in, these are people that will die hopeless. And if I want to do anything this morning, all I want to do, my main goal, I don't have, this is not like a three-point sermon, you know, to, to do this or to accomplish this. The only goal that I want to leave you with today is literally to light a fire underneath you. So that you can begin to see through the lenses that Jesus does. That when he looks upon his children and he looks at the earth and he says, these are lost people. And I want to take people that serve Jesus, love Jesus, and I want to put them in the right environment. Because I love these people. I care about these people. And I want them at the end of the day to know me. Now, I think the question then, if you're a logical person like me, where you like to analyze everything and you question everything... Um, a logistical question is, well, how does a church, one church, reach 23,703 people? How, how in the world do we do that? And the answer actually is quite simple. Um, you don't go after the 23,703 people. You go after the one. You go after one. You go after one person every single week, every single day of your life. And so here's what this means, that when you go and you show up at Walmart, that you actually care about the person that's checking your groceries out. When you show up at the bank, I don't know about you guys, but I do this intentionally um, every single time. I don't drive through the bank. Um, Because I've, I've come to the understanding a long time ago, God used me in a very just powerful way a few years ago in a bank. Um, I showed up to deposit my check. And um, I look at this lady who's standing, and you ever look at people and you just know, like, something's wrong, something's off. You can kind of see the hurt and the pain in their eyes. And I asked her, I said, hey, how's your day going? And she's like, well, it's great. 
And I said, you're lying. And I don't know what it was. It just kind of came out. I was like, you're lying. And she's like, you're right. And she just like broke down in the bank. I was like, whoa, oh God, what do I do? And I just began to console this woman. And long story short, um, she began to tell me about how her husband had just left her. And she didn't know what she was going to do with her kids. And this person, this stranger who I never knew, just because I took the time to say, how was your day, ends up converting, giving her life to Jesus, and she's in the Jennings campus today, serving Jesus. Come on. And there's stories like that waiting to be told. There's stories exactly like that that are waiting to be told every single day. And the truth is, God is calling us as a church to begin to reach that one person. That we don't leave people behind. There's a a parable that Jesus tells, very popular parable in Matthew chapter 18, um, verse 12 through 14. We all know this parable. um, But hopefully it brings new light this morning. Hopefully we can see it in a different way. And and Jesus says this, he says, what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go search for the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Not one. So obviously this would be, um, if we would put it into modern day context, just imagine for a moment that you have five kids, okay? And, and all of a sudden you're watching them and you look around and you realize like one is gone. Now you don't look at all four and just be like, well, it's just us four now, <laughs> right? What do you do if your mom, you panic, or if your father, you feel this sense of urgency, Right? This sense of, I'm going to do whatever I need to do to find my child. We've had so many stories happen like this in my house. I told you about the story a few months ago about me losing Peter and Chick-fil-A and all that kind of stuff. There was, there's another story uh, that actually happened about a month ago. Um, Claire, every single day when I get home from work, she goes and she runs. And, uh, man, she's, she's up there now. I think she, she runs like a, a 10K every day now. Um, so I think that's, what, 7.2-something miles, something like that. So it's about an hour and a half, and she goes. And so I get home from work, and she runs for about an hour and a half. And um, so I get home, and, you know, we've got all the kids. And as a dad, you know, uh, they're playing. They're fine. They're in the house. They're in four walls, right? <laughs> they're not going anywhere. And so I noticed, if you're a parent, you understand this. Once it gets really quiet, you know something is wrong, right? You're like, it's just way too quiet in this house. Somebody is drawing on my wall, or somebody is eating something that they shouldn't be, or, or, or whatever. And usually the loud one is our youngest, who's Timothy. He's our one-year-old. He's always just, you know, you'll hear stuff crashing down, him pulling stuff off the shelves. And I notice he's really, really quiet. Man, where is he? Where is he? I'm looking around. I can't find him. And all of a sudden, I realize what happens. There is this sense of urgency that kicks in, this, this panic, this fatherly panic of, oh, my God, I have lost my child. I cannot find him. So I have recruited all four of my other children. Find Timothy, find Timothy, find Timothy. Now, in that moment, I could have just kind of backed off and just been like, well, you know, I mean, he'll, he'll turn up sooner or later. <laughs> you know, he'll show up. 
no, what are we doing? For 20 minutes, we're looking. It probably wasn't 20 minutes, but it feels like that when a parent, right? It's probably five minutes. And we're looking for him, tearing the house apart. And I hear this faint sound in my laundry room. I'm like, what is that? And I go in and I walk in. The brother is in my dryer, sitting in my dryer. Now, I mistakenly made the mistake about a week ago to play hide-and-seek and and stick children in the dryer. (laughs) And so he just graciously followed my lead. (laughs) But what do you do in that moment when you have lost a child? What is the immediate emotion that you feel? You feel urgency. You feel urgency, right? I have to do something. I, if you go and you watch every news story of, you know, a child that has been abducted, there is no parent on the face of the earth that's just like, oh, I'll just let the cops handle it. What are they doing? They're out there looking themselves, right? Every story you see, no, I'm, I'm not just going to sit here. I have to do something. And this is what God is calling us to do when we read this parable, when he, the shepherd leaves the 99 to go find the one, because he realizes the 99 are safe. They're not going anywhere. They understand the truth. They understand they need to stay on the mountain. But this one has gone off. And so what does the shepherd feel? He feels this sense of urgency. I need to go find that sheep. Now imagine the moment when that shepherd finally comes in and he sees that lamb. You know, maybe he's all nestled up in this thorn bush. He's all cut up and life has just beat him up because he's ran off. And the shepherds actually usually, back in the day, to teach the lamb a lesson, they would come in with their rod and they would hit them on the legs and they would break their legs. And then they would throw the lamb over the shoulder. And it was a sign of like, listen, if you want to go off by yourself, if you want to do your own thing, it's going to hurt. But the thing that I love about the story is, and I'm just playing it out in my mind, is imagine this shepherd coming up the hill just whispering to this lamb, hey, listen, it doesn't matter. However far you go, I'm going to come chase you down. I'm going to come find you. And when that joy that that sheep feels when he comes back to that mountaintop, oh, I'm safe. I'm finally safe. I don't have to go back out there and wander. I learned my lesson. I just want to be with my brothers. I just want to be with my sisters. I just want to be safe because I had the shepherd come out and chase me and find me no matter how far off I went. The shepherd came looking for me. So here's the question that I have for you today. What if in that story God is calling us to be that shepherd? What if in that story God is calling us to be that shepherd? Who in your circle, in your family, in your friends, we all have that one person that we look at and say, man, they have just dove off the deep end. Wonder if because of the fact that you have come to the realization God is wanting to use you to bring them back. See, there's 23,703 people that profess no faith, but if we start with the one, that one person every single day, every single week, and maybe it's just walking into Walmart and intentionally going to the same checkout line and you see the same guy or the same lady every single week, never knowing what those conversations may play out to be. I'm not sure if you've kind of got my drift yet, but place yourself in that story. Place yourself in that story that that it wasn't just 99 sheep, it was four children or five children and one went off and you're the parent. What would you do in that moment? 
You would do anything that you needed to do, right? You would drain your life savings. You would spend every ounce of, of, of money that you had to find that child. Why? Because you love your child. The sense of urgency you would feel is the same sense of urgency that Christ feels for the lost. And it's the same urgency, I think, that he wants to give us today. So like I said earlier, if I want to do anything this morning, it's just light that fire underneath you because I think some of us have gotten so trapped in our church bubbles that we've forgotten that there are actually people outside of these walls that are fighting every single day just to get by, just to make it. The people that have been marginalized, the people that have been the outcasts of society, or maybe the people that have everything all together but their soul is just consistently tormented. And what if the truth is we have this great truth that that God offers grace and mercy and he extends those things to people. And God's just waiting on us to just extend that hand to someone else. But I think many times we're so stuck in our own world that, you know, we just see people at the checkout line in Walmart and it's just another person. Hurry up, just check my groceries out, I need to get out of here. Or we go through the drive-through line, hurry up, just give me my food so I can get out of here. And we forget that these are people with real stories. And we forget that these are people that have genuine problems and they face circumstances in our lives. And maybe God has graciously placed us in those people's life for a moment. You know what the truth is? Busyness causes us to lose compassion for people. I think the reason, especially in today's society, the reason that we have forgotten about the marginalized, the reason that we've forgotten about the poor, the reason that we have forgotten about the people that are dying and going to hell is because on the name of busyness. I'm just so busy, I don't have time for other people. Give me my food and let me get out of here. I'm just so, have you noticed that? Like everything has turned into this quick culture. I mean, that's why we have Uber now, right? Uber, if you don't have a car, you just, you, you download an app and you call a car. We have waiter now because we don't want to go to the restaurant. You just pick up the food and they deliver it to your house, right? Everything is about like fast pace, hurry up, I want it now. Why? Because we claim we're so busy. And the truth is we're not that busy. We're just, a lot of us are just busy with just stuff that we don't really need to be busy with. But busyness causes us to lose our compassion for people and selfishness actually causes us to not feel people's pain. And here's what I think the greatest tragedy in Christianity is. Is we we forget about how gracious God was to us. And that God pulled us out of this dark situation, out of this hopeless pit, and he saved us. And now we feel that the, the greatest thing that we can do with that is go sit in church. But listen, God is saying, listen, I have pulled you out of this pit. I have pulled you out of this despair, out of this hopelessness, so that you can go back to your home, so that you can go back to your neighborhood, so that you can go back to Walmart, so you can go back to the cashier and tell everybody else about this good news. I don't know if you noticed, but all through the New Testament, every single time Jesus healed somebody, every time, they said, God, can we follow you? He said, no, go back home and tell everybody what I've done for you. Go back home and tell everybody what I've done for you. They always wanted to follow, like, Jesus, just let me follow you. But he understood that there was a power in their testimony, right? When people saw a changed life, it was undeniable. And so what if through your story, 
through what God has done in you. Maybe through you, you went through a life group and you experienced some kind of freedom or maybe you got stronger in your marriage or, or whatever it was. However it played out, whatever your story is, what if God wants to take that and he wants to use that to reach people? This also reminds me of a story in Luke chapter 10. Um, and it's actually, we, we know this story. I'm going to break it up and we're going to pause a little bit and we'll read a little bit more. But this is starting in verse uh, 25. If you don't have a Bible, it'll actually be on the screen. It says, just then, a religion scholar stood up with a question to test Jesus. I, <laughs> I always find this hilarious. You know, the, you always have these scholars like, let us, let us just test Jesus. And he says this, teacher, what do I need to do to get eternal life? You ever ask that question, God, what can I do? How much do I need to do just to get into heaven? Like, how much little do I need to do just to, God, I just want to see the pearly gates, and that's pretty much it. This is what he's asking. He answered, what is written in God's law? How do you interpret it? He said that you love the Lord your God with all your passion and all your prayer and muscle and intelligence, and that you love your neighbor as well as you do yourself. Good answer, said Jesus. Do it, and you'll live. Now watch this. Looking for a loophole, he asked. And just how would you define neighbor? Looking for a loophole. And here's the problem with most Christians today. This is the, the, we are asking the same question. God, how much do I need to do, but how much can I get out of? Because that's really uncomfortable. Because the life that you have really called me to live is not... I mean, it's good for some people, but I still kind of want to do my own thing. I still want to have a loophole. I still want to have an out. Anybody ever feel like that sometimes? I want to serve God, but I don't know if I want to 100% really. Anybody, come on, let's be honest in here. Anybody ever feel that way? You're looking for a loophole. See, just like that religious scholar looking for a loophole, I think that we do the same many times. We're always looking for ways to not be inconvenienced by Jesus. And we ask ourselves, how much, God, how much can I do just to get into heaven? That's all I really want. But here's the truth. Jesus doesn't offer a loophole. He says, if you want all of me, then this is the life that I'm calling you to live. There is no loophole. There is no out. I either take 100% of you or none of you. That's just how it, that's how it works. And let's continue reading the story. Picking up in verse 30. It says, Jesus answered by telling a story. There was once a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. On the way, he was attacked by robbers. They took his clothes, beat him up, and went off, leaving him half dead. Now watch this. Watch the, watch the word here. Luckily, it says, gratefully, Luckily, a priest was on his way down the same road. But when he saw him, he angled across to the other side of the road. Then a Levite, a religious man, this was a leader in the church, showed up. He also avoided the injured man. So two things before we finish this story that I want to point out. I want you to see something. The two people that passed up the man that was injured lying on the road were people that came to church every single Sunday. 
These were people that claim to love God. These were people that said, you know what, I pay my tithes, I do my part, I'm in a life group, I'm involved, I'm doing all this kind of stuff. These are men that have dedicated themselves to understanding and learning Scripture, but they fail to forget one thing. The gospel has never penetrated their hearts. See, it's one thing to come in on a Sunday morning and listen to a sermon. It's one thing to crack open the Bible and say, oh, that's good. But it's another thing to let it affect your heart. It's another thing to go, oh, wait, wait, he's actually speaking to me? He actually wants me to love my neighbor as myself? He actually wants me to love my enemies? To turn the other cheek? Well, that must be for somebody else, because it's not for me, (laughs) right? Now, Jesus is saying, listen, you can read all the scripture you want. You can go to church every single Sunday and still miss out on the bigger picture. And still miss out why I came, because I came for the one. I came for the marginalized. I came for the outcast. I came for the one that needed me in that moment. You see, those two men in that moment had an opportunity to be Jesus. And they missed it. How many times do we miss it? How many opportunities do we have to be Jesus to somebody? How many opportunities do we have to be Jesus to somebody? And maybe that was the only moment that that person ever had to experience the radical love of Jesus. And we miss it. All in the back of selfishness or busyness. Or I just don't have time. Or I don't have the words to say. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to interact with that person. You know, the only way that you learn how to do that is by doing it. I remember the first time I told somebody about Jesus, I'm sure it sounded pretty bad. They, they, they I, like, I don't know what I said. I remember walking away, I'm like, Whew, that's going to be one jacked up Christian right there. You know, like, I don't know what I told that guy. Right? Now watch this, let's keep reading. A Samaritan traveling the road came on him. He stumbles up against this robber. When he saw the man's condition, his heart went out to him. I love that. He gave him first aid, disinfecting and bandaging his wounds. Then he lifted him onto his donkey, led him to an inn, and made him comfortable. Now there's a few things that you need to know about this story before we move on. The Samaritan was an outcast of society. He wasn't a Levite, He wasn't a Jew. He wasn't somebody that was highly looked up or esteemed in society. A a Samaritan was a cross between a Jew and a Greek. And these were somebody, I mean, if you, it's like, it was the outcast. It was somebody that was just kind of like, man, you you know, half-breed, basically, is what it was. Or if if you want to put it in modern terms, they are from the wrong side of the tracks, okay? That's what it really was. This guy had no status. I mean, for who he was, he was an outcast. He was a reject of society. The thing that I love about it is the non-religious person understood the gospel greater than somebody that had devoted their lives to studying the scriptures. Realized there's a man who needs help. So I'm going to help him. So, so here's the deal. And here's what we fall into too many, too many times within Christianity. There's a hungry person, right? Brother, I just pray that you would fill his, God, I pray that you just fill his belly right now. Let me pray for you. Okay, I'm going to go. No. You give him something to eat, <laughs> right? 
If he's hungry, you feed him. If he's broken, what do you do? You lean in and say, okay, what do I need to do? What do I need to do about this situation or this circumstance? And let me just be quite honest with you. Sometimes, many times, it will inconvenience you. Almost every time it will inconvenience you. And it's the only reason that we don't act. It's the only reason that we don't extend our hand to the one because it's inconvenient. It messes up our Netflix chill time. (laughs) Right? It messes up our downtime, our our me time. I remember a few years ago, um, God had really been working on me in this kind of, this subject. And I remember passing by Walmart and there's this homeless man standing out there. And I just, just like, just like normal, I passed him up, you know. And I remember just feeling the conviction of God. And I'm like, God, like, I, I am not stopping. I'm just telling you right now. <laughs> and, and I remember I was like, okay, well, I'll make one more pass. And God, if you know, if you still feel like you want me to do this, then I'll do this. I remember making another pass. And he's like, hey, and I'm like, yo, <laughs> you know, just driving by. I'm like, I'm not stopping, God. And I remember finally, it was just like the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I remember finally um, I rolled down my window and I said, hey, man, do you need some help with anything? And he said two things, bro. I just I need a bus ticket, and I need I need some 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 I need some food. And I said, well, when it when when does the bus leave? And he said it leaves in about three hours. I said, cool. My wife is cooking dinner. Get in my car. So I get he gets in my car, and this guy I mean he probably hadn't taken a bath in you know a long time. And I, I, the first mistake I made is I never told my wife that I was bringing this guy over. <laughs> so I knock on the door. And she's like, hey, hey, what the? And we sat down. This guy ate dinner with us. He took a shower in our house. I gave him my clothes. Bought him a bus ticket. And he was on his way to Texas. Now listen, you could look at that and say, well, you, you don't know what he's going to do with that money. It's not my responsibility to determine that. At the end of the day, it's my responsibility to be obedient to what God has called me to do. Now, whatever that man turns around and does, that's on him. It's not on my conscience. At the end of the day, God, regardless of what your disposition is, and listen, it may not be as drastic as that. Maybe it's simply this. Maybe it's just a brother that you have written off that says, you know what, he'll never serve Christ. I wonder if the only reason he hasn't is because you haven't pushed him hard enough. I wonder if the only reason that he isn't right now is because you haven't opened up the conversation. So it may not be the homeless person. It may be your neighbor. It may be your boss. It may be your coworker. It may be your brother. It may be your sister. 23,703 people that profess no faith. Every single person sitting in this room has that one person, and you know that one person. Every single person. See, this is a message where we don't have to think, well, I need to really think about that. Immediately, people are coming to your mind. Immediately, you're thinking about it. So let's finish the story. Oh, before I, before I finish it. The Samaritan. So he picks this guy up, cleans him up. It also reminds me of another passage in Scripture in Matthew 25, 40. And it says, the king will reply. We're talking about Jesus. It says, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. It's such a powerful Scripture. When you look at it. See, what the Samaritan saw is he saw, that's Jesus. And it's my opportunity to take care of Jesus. And that's how we have to view it. Continuing in, um, in Luke. It says, In the morning he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, 
take good care of him. If it costs any more, put it on my bill and I'll pay you on my way back. What do you think? Which, uh, this is Jesus talking now. Which three became a neighbor to the man attacked by robbers? The one who treated him kindly, the religious scholar responded. And Jesus said, go and do the same. Go and do the same. The thing that I love about this story is it's, it's a direct correlation to what Jesus was going to do on the cross. For you and for me. I love this part of the story because it says, listen, if this man needs anything else, regardless of how damaged he is, I'll pay for it. Put it on my tab. Put it on my bill. I'll take care of it. He gave him two silver coins. That was actually, listen to this, two silver coins were worth two months of pay. Two, do you think that's inconvenient? Do you think that's sacrificial? Absolutely, but that's the life that Jesus calls us to live. Absolutely. The reason for many of us sitting in this room today, the reason that Christianity is so boring to you is because we're living it wrong. The truth is we've forgotten about the one and we've shifted the focus on ourselves. And the gospel has become all about God heal me, do for me, God take care of me, it's all about me, God make me prosperous. The truth is God says, no, take care of your neighbor, then I'll take care of you. Take care of your brother. Don't forget about the one. Listen, 23,703 people, we can affect all of them because each and every person in this room has that one. See, there's nothing more powerful than life change. There's no greater testimony. There's no greater story when somebody says, listen, I was at this hopeless, pitful despair in my life, and then there came along this one person, and in that moment, they just begin to describe to me how good Jesus was, and it changed my life. There's nothing better than that. Absolutely nothing better. See, ultimately, the Samaritan was Jesus to that wounded man. And the truth is, you have an opportunity every single day to be Jesus to someone. Now, here's the truth. Whether you want to or not, whether you want the responsibility or not, the day that you professed that you wanted to serve Jesus, everybody else around you, they got it. Whether you wanted them to or not. And whether you want it or not, they're watching you. They're watching you. Whether you want that responsibility or you don't want that responsibility, the truth is they're looking at you every single day. And some of them are asking, I want to know more about this Jesus. And and this guy says that he knows Jesus, so I'm just going to watch him. I'm going to see how he acts. So here's the question. When, When your coworkers and your brothers and your sisters come in contact with you, do they see Jesus? Do they know Jesus? Are they going to encounter Jesus? See, don't pass your opportunity by in the name of busyness. Don't pass up the one because we're so busy, we've got to get things done. I don't know if you realize this or not, and I think we all do, but there are injured and robbed people every single day that the enemy is coming after. And they're right here in Acadia Parish. Because there's 23,703 people that profess no faith. These are the people that they're believing lies about themselves. The enemy's lying to them. Maybe they feel hopeless. Maybe they feel like they've been driven to despair. 
And the truth is, the reason that God's placed you in their life so that you can be a light to them. And I know some of us, we, 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 we use the excuse where we say, well, I don't know what the words to say. I don't know the scriptures. I don't know what to do. And oftentimes, what I love about the story of the Good Samaritan is he just leaned into the situation. That's all he did. It, it wasn't like, all right, brother, I know you're like bleeding and stuff, but let me tell you about Jesus real quick. <laughs> no, what did he do? No, let me just scoop this dude up, put him on my donkey. Let me take care of him. How many of you know that would speak a whole lot more to you than somebody just saying, just, just, just bless him, God, <laughs> heal him? If somebody leaned in and scooped you up and brought you to an end when you were laying on the street, buddy, and could barely make it, and they took care of you, how many of you know that would speak more to you than anything, right? It'd speak more to you than somebody just laying their hand on you and praying for them, right? Why? Because that person leaned in and says, let me show you love of Christ. Let me act out the love of Christ. Now, some of you today, you may say, listen, that's great. Good stuff. Um, I'm just not that person. I'm not qualified to share that news. I'm not qualified to do that. I want you to listen to the words of William Booth. He was actually the founder of the Salvation Army. I've been reading a lot of his stuff lately. And uh, he says this, he is very, he's a very intense, like, passionate guy. And he says, not called, he says, did you say? And I love how he says, I think not heard the call, I think you should say. He says, put your ear down to the Bible and hear him bid you go and pull sinners out of the fire of sin. Put your ear down to the burden, agonized heart of humanity and listen to its pitiful wail for help. Go stand by the gates of hell and hear the damned entreat you to go to their father's house and bid their brothers and sisters and servants and masters not to come here. And then look Christ in the face whose mercy you have professed to obey and tell him whether you will join heart and soul and body and circumstance in the the march to publish his mercy to the world. Strong words, right? Here's what he's saying. And if you profess the name of Jesus, if you've been touched and healed by the grace and mercy of Christ, you're called. See, the Great Commission is, is what? Go into all of the world and make disciples, teaching them the ways of Jesus. And he didn't leave like a caveat on it. He didn't say, go into all the world if you're a pastor. <laughs> go into all the world if you're a teacher or if you know, you're a leader in the church or you understand all the scriptures. No, he just said, Go. If you, if you listen to most stories of people that have had their life radically converted by Christ, I mean, <clears throat> when they first started going out there, they knew nothing. I remember when my dad, he shares it all the time, when he first started preaching to people, he said, I knew nothing. I knew no scripture. Zero. Nothing. All I knew is that, man, I just felt so much better, and I knew that God saved me. I knew it was real. I didn't know anything, but he said the next day, I was out on the streets, like, telling people about Jesus. I'm not saying that has to be your story. All I'm saying is we can lean in and we can be Jesus to somebody. To that one person, to that coworker, to that brother, to that sister. Here's the truth. There are people that will never know salvation in your circle unless you tell them. God has strategically placed you, sovereignly placed you in the circle of people that you're around every single day. And he has strategically placed you in that circle to make a difference. And listen, let me take it even a step further. 
maybe some of you are saying, okay, I can lean in. I can be Jesus to somebody. I can love on somebody. I just, I don't know what to say. Do you know that 96% of people would come to church if you just invited them? 96% of people would come to church if you just invited them. So, so it could literally be as simple as this. Let me lean in. Let me love you. Why don't you come to church with me? I'll introduce you to some people. You're going to hear the word. They're going to talk about Jesus. And through all of that, you never know what could happen. You never know what could happen. If we all said, okay, I have that one person this week. I am determined to introduce them to Jesus. And sure, are you going to get shot down sometimes? Absolutely. Are there going to be times when it's not quite as pleasant and you're like, man, this guy's just, he's thick skulled. You don't know my brother. (laughs) This dude just doesn't want to hear it. That persistence, I promise you, it ends up paying off. The truth is, 23,703 people would have a greater chance of knowing Jesus simply just by being invited to church. I read another quote from William Booth and he said this, so convicting. He says, if you want to change the future, then you're going to have to trouble the present. If you want to change the future, you're going to have to inconvenience the present. If you want to change the future of your family, if you're looking at your marriage right now and you're saying, I don't like it. If you're looking at your family or or whatever it is, you're just like, man, it's just not working. The only way to change the future is to trouble and inconvenient the here and now, right now. To say, okay, I'm going to lean into community. I'm going to lean into people. I'm going to start confessing things even though it it pains me and I don't want to do this. The only way to change the future is to inconvenience the here and now, the present, right now. So here's the question. What is God calling us right now to inconvenience? Maybe for somebody, for some of us in here, maybe it is inviting somebody into our home. Maybe it is extending a helping hand to somebody. Maybe it is giving up one night a week to lean in to help somebody else. Whatever it may be. For many, Christmas time is not the happiest time of the year. For many, it's actually the loneliest time of the year. Um, for many this year, it's, it's the first time that they're going to experience Christmas without a particular loved one. There's a lot of people that are not looking forward to the holidays. What better, though, than the body of Christ leaning in and saying, you know what, I'll lean in with you in your pain. I'll help you carry that. I'll, I'll share that with you. There's nothing that screams and speaks Jesus more clearly and loudly than that. See, I truly believe the future is bright for this church, for this city, for Acadia Parish. If we could begin to lean in and begin to focus on the one, on that one person. So I'll leave you with a question, or statement really. 23,703 people, what are we going to do about it? 23,703 people. Now that's just people that don't profess faith. <laughs> We're not talking about people that are, are lost. Because we know tons of lost people that say, yeah, I mean, I, I believe in God. We know that. What are we going to do about it? 
So today I want to leave you with a choice. We can remain in our comfort or we can join the heavens and go for souls and go for people. We can fight for that one. 